It gets me going. I get all excited. That's how you start a podcast. <laughs> it is, particularly one that's done 220 episodes, which is Ooh. which is the tally we're now at. Huge numbers. Soon we'll be at 222, which is basically that is, that is the goal. like the angelic version of 666. So, I mean, come on. A third of the way there. <laughs> 225, I suppose, yeah, 225, I suppose, is the real milestone, but not, not even that. Like, 250, obviously, is the big no, one. No, 222 is a milestone. That's good enough for okay. me. Next milestone is 333. Two, two, that's it. 222 followed by 333. Perfect. Um, I do believe it was actually Slipknot who said, if you're 555, then I'm 666. That is actually a song lyric. Does 555 mean something that I have not culturally absorbed? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. You'd have to ask Mr. Slipknot. I don't really know. Let's ask Mr. Google. <laughs> it's a song lyric, so yeah. he must have come up with it because it sounded good as opposed to it meaning anything. Could be an American thing. It could be like, if you're 711, I'm 666. Then I'd get that. I'd understand that. If you're 911, I'm 666. <laughs> you know He's got options. Right, it seems to be a thing. Apparently, the meaning of 555. Five, five, uh, the number five is a powerful number in many forms of divine reading. Five <laughs> represents freedom, exploration, travel, and change. I really don't think Mr. Slipknot was thinking that deeply about it when he when he wrote that. If you are travel, I am the number of the beast. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that makes sense to me. Anyway, James, how are you? Uh, doing all right. We've had a bit of a big day here. Um, having a normal one. Did some work. Uh, I did some streaming. Nice. Come watch me stream, people. It's nice when you. It's nice when you show up. It's nice when I show up. <laughs> and then I was getting set to record, and I, no, I pop on just to to Big Bro stream, see what he's up to. Yep. And his audio is not on. I'm like, what's going on? He spills water all over his mixer. I'm oh. like, oh no! I'll go try and help solve that problem. Right. So I provided some equipment to to effectively dry stuff with and then also a backup mixer in case that all goes wrong to be clear big bro is still living in your flat he hasn't moved out still, yet. still i don't know when we announced the move on the podcast but you're all getting an idea of how slow things happen here <laughs> he still is in the flat i didn't run halfway across the city he's still here although i'm sure one the day will come where he has a technical problem and he'll be like come and solve it and I will run halfway across the city because I care about people's experiences. I mean, what's he going to do if he spills water or something on his mixer when he's literally living in Charing Cross? Like, what are what are you meant to do? Just he's going smile and wave. Yeah, I'll I'll be another useless far away person who can't help, and he'll have to figure out things himself. I think he did handle this one all right. Uh, he maybe has learned his lesson, and he's going to probably buy a backup mixer. I would, I would assume, okay. and if not, I'll remind him to do that. I'll be saying, hey, buy yourself a backup mixer, you know, just in case something goes wrong again. Well, well, my day was slightly less exciting or dramatic than that. Oh, yeah. How was your day? Well, actually, I, I'd rather talk about my week because the start of this week, I spent three days in the Cairngorms oh. and uh, went impromptu wild swimming. Well, that's better than wild swimming in, like, the Clyde. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it was myself and Graham. We decided to, to go up north for a few days. And we went to Loch Morlick, which is the, the beach at the highest altitude in the UK. All right. If you wanted to know some useless information, it's at 1,300 feet. Wow. It was very windy. It was very cold. Uh, but it was it was fun. Good. As fun as wild swimming in 13 degree temperatures can be. Yep. And you can't infect uh, anything there with coronavirus. So good job. <laughs> and then we went to the Island Wildlife Park, which was great. That could be a bit corona, a corona esque. Well, well. See, here's the thing, and get a little taste of corona. It was, it was less about the corona, more about the the poor animals. Oh man! Yeah. And let me tell you, 
if you're a deer or if you're an Asian cousin of a deer with a, a <laughs> unusual name from the mountains of Mongolia right. and you exist to eat grass, uh-huh. then you can basically do that anywhere. And so uh-huh. they're quite happily just moseying along, eating grass, looking a bit funny, uh-huh. and tourists looking at them and waving at them and trying to feed them carrots. Yeah. But if you're, for example, an Amur tiger, yes. and you've suddenly been put in Kin Craig uh-huh. in an enclosure which is basically just a big living room Aye. compared to the hundreds of square miles, you're going to go a bit psychotic. Yeah. And this poor thing, which... I mean, it was amazing seeing it, but it was just pacing around the enclosure the entire time. I'm thinking, that is such a shame. Why is he here? Yeah. Why is he near Avi Moore when he should really be in India? Yeah, so I feel you. that was an interesting one for me because, I mean, it's great to see them, but it's like me just kind of being an attraction in Tokyo. Like, I, I'm not meant to be there. I don't know what I'm doing and I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we what we do to some, if not all, animals when we put them in enclosures for just human fun reasons rather than for conservation reasons is a bit right. of a shame. Well, uh, well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I get the argument of if it's in the wild, maybe it'll die <laughs> and get hunted and be extinct. Right. But you know, we're who, who's to say that just because we're wealthy and we live in the West, we get to see these animals? Like yeah. that's just. A very privileged position to be in. Yeah, no. If we wanted to, if if that was the reason, we we would be wanting to protect their actual living space rather than creating one in a random cold environment very far away from home. Yeah, I mean, they were just like, okay, we're quite high up. It's a little bit cold here. Snow leopards. Yeah, you're fine. You can come here. You'll be fine. You'll have a great time. Yeah. When in reality, they really need to be in like four thousand feet sub-zero temperatures in Russia. Yeah. So hey ho. But talking of working environments, James, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. It's Cease Operate. Yeah, your favourite work and work-related topics podcast. <laughs> Episode 220, where we often just uh, talk before we actually get to the to the real news. But talking of working environments, James, that did come up Ooh. actually in the amount of people who contacted us this week to say, James, what is your setup like? Because we've heard all about me being in a cupboard right. and surrounded by soundproof foam, so I do sound uh, particularly less cavernous than usual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, but James, uh, both Amel and Shanana asked oh. uh, about yours. Like, how do you actually record uh, your your show? Right. Be, let's be truthful. <laughs> I'm not going to double down on the hilarious joke that I made, which was I actually just open the window and talk relatively loudly. I have no idea how Colin gets my audio. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Thank you, me. Um, <laughs> don't make me laugh. I'm just sitting at my desk. I don't go as far as Colin. Um, I've got some drapes up here and there in the room to dampen it a wee bit, nice. but not all the walls are, are are dampened. I got two massive screens in front of me reflecting my audio directly back at the microphone, but it's fine because I don't get paid to do anything with my voice. If the day comes where I get paid to do things with with my voice, I might invest in making this sound a wee bit better. If if you all want to complain real hard about the audio quality and then peer pressure me into into improving it, Give it a shot. Absolutely. Uh, but my, my setup is far less exciting. Also this week, BBC EastEnders launched its Series 2. I know. 35 years I know. after Series 1. You're stealing our thing. Which uh, Ross Cray got in touch and said, and I thought you had a long Season 1. Well, James, yeah. well, Ross, James, 
both of you. Vrames. I totally agree. I thought that we really outdone ourselves, but turns out we've got another 33-ish years to go before we can really yeah. call ourselves the longest-running entertainment thing in existence. I mean, but maybe, like, 30 years in TV years is, like, three months in podcast years. <laughs> You don't really know how ages work across different species and stuff, so... Yeah, it's, it's like dogs and humans, right? Yeah, so I'll take it into consideration. That's, that is a remarkably long season one, but uh, it's not directly comparable. I think we can probably still claim to be the longest-running season one uh, of any podcast in history specifically recorded in Glasgow, uh, Scotland, <laughs> about world topics and current events, hosted by me and Colin. Right, well, James, now that that's been settled, uh, let's actually talk about what's been happening this week. Shall we start with this novel little thing called coronavirus? You might have heard of it. (sighs) Yes. Okay, James, the news this week is that restrictions are back in Scotland and across the UK after the R number of cases of the virus rose above one for the first time in several weeks. It looks like... so surprised. It looks like the people, the number of people who are being infected with the virus is doubling every few days at this rate. Certainly in England, it's every six or seven days and Scotland looks like it's something similar. Yeah, the graphs graphs are doing a big old old peak. They are. They're going up fast now. It's it's like a a strange bathtub kind of shape we're going for at the moment on the graphs. Actually, yeah, that's a really good point. It, it It is pretty smooth. Okay, so Nicola Sturgeon announced that from Monday, it will be in law that these restrictions uh, will be enforced. And that means that you can no longer... Well, if you're in Glasgow, let's start with here because you and I are affected by this directly. Uh-huh, yeah, we yeah. can no longer go into other people's houses. That was true already though, right? For us. That was true already, yes. But that is uh, remaining the case. Mm-hmm. And across Scotland, there will be a maximum of six people outdoors as well as indoors from two households. Yeah. And that is it. Kids under 12 don't count. Children children aren't people. That is correct. They are not. So, James, uh, this, as you've uh, commented on there, is hardly surprising. Uh-huh. This seems to be, as we've mentioned in the past, down to the amount of house parties and house gatherings being held uh, across Scotland. I saw uh, police attended 300 last weekend, Ooh. which is very fortunate of them. Bet they had a great time. Yeah, they must have had a blast. Do you think that this is a, a reflection of the fact that people are just getting a bit fed up with all this? Uh, I think there's there's more to it than that. Yes, the number of house parties are, are on the up, especially as things get cold and everybody's gathering indoors, so more indoors stuff is on the up. Yes, that's not good, but I think we've been done a wee bit. They've tricked us, them governments, they've tricked us because... How so? When they were lifting the lockdown restrictions, they started off with the social stuff. They're like, oh, you can now do some social life, but don't worry, don't don't worry about going back to work or propping up the economy. We'll, we'll worry about that later. And then they introduced all the economy stuff. Like, you can go to back to the pubs, you can go to events, you can go to your workplace, and please, please, please go to your workplace. You're not going to your workplace enough. Go back to the city centres, people, please. Um... And now that things are getting bad, what's the first thing they take away from us? Our social stuff again. Right. But we're still going to be having to prop up the economy. We're still going to be having to go to our workplaces, please. You're not doing that enough. Uh, so they're, they're, I don't agree with the methods. Uh, it should be all or nothing again. We, we can't just be uh, making everybody sacrifice all of their day-to-day um, friend and family activity for the sake of going to work 
in a specific building or going to the pub and all that stuff. It, it, sh- it can't all be on one side, but this is their method of blaming the public instead of blaming right. the, the, the method. So here's my question, because as you say, James, rightfully, there are things which have only been opening up in the last few weeks. For example, the outdoor organized sports, the seven-a-side football I've been playing for the last yeah. maybe two and a half weeks, that only opened up at the end of August, despite the fact that some of the social bubbles began either end of May or start of June. So why is it that this, you know, something which involves 16 people sometimes and going out to a pub where there are dozens and dozens of folk who, once they're sitting down and have beer or have food, don't have to wear a face mask. Why is it that that is still okay, but going upstairs to see my neighbour and to have a gin in her flat is... A no-no. Because I I just can't fathom that. Because the governments, they like direct control. So the assumption is if you're doing stuff that is outside, at least the polis can see you if you're you're breaking the rules a wee bit or if you're doing things in a pub. Okay. Well, they might lose their... Uh, their license if they break the rules and stuff like that so we can enforce it there they aren't enforcing it there Uh, uh, as far uh, as i can tell people do whatever they want in 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 half the pubs that are open and people are doing whatever they want in the outdoor spaces to to me though it's less about the enforcement of rules and more about how easily the virus is being spread and obviously house parties over the last few weeks have been a contributing factor but now it's going to be the big groups of people yeah. gathering in places that aren't people's homes. So why are they still open? I mean, I know that the economy, we've talked about this a lot, we know the economy is very important to them politicians yeah. and they want to keep that going and uh, get those job numbers on the up. But ultimately, if you want to stop this virus, that's how you're going to do it. It's not going to be by me having a cup of tea with Jess. Yeah, no, so so as far as I care, it needs to be more than this still. We can't just get rid of people's social lives and expect them to still be happy going to work with all their colleagues and still be happy eating out to help out with all the people. And all of those schemes, like the go back to work stuff, the eating out schemes, everything is also without a doubt contributing. We're just not being told how much. Um, so it's it is, it's a big shame that everybody's been told, hey, you got to sort your personal time out now. It's your personal time that's to blame for all this. And they're not giving any blame to all the businesses that are still not putting in safe practices. They're not taking any blame on themselves for having schools unopen. No, sorry, for having schools open up again Yep. Um, when the safety isn't there or isn't guaranteed to be there yet. The balance is way off and it's just this game of blame the public. And they know that if they can get the public to blame the public, then that's a civil war and they won't have to worry about about their own accountability anymore because everybody will be right. pointing fingers at each other. Just to point out that this is still well below the peak that we saw in April, but it is well, like a concerning there. rise. Yeah, it, as you say, it is about halfway there. But uh, this week, Scotland announced, or Nicola Sturgeon announced, that there would now be, or there is now, a Scottish app mm-hmm. for protecting and tracing. Yep. James, have you downloaded the app? Yes. So have I. Yeah, even though I'm quite privacy-oriented and all that, the app is built using the Google Apple infrastructure, which is very privacy-oriented and is the privacy that comes of it is the reason that the UK government didn't want to use it in the first place because they love data mining. Um, yep. So the app, a good idea, even if you aren't going out and about. I don't go out and about. Good idea to have it anyway. Um, the more... The greater share of the population that has these things, the more effective they are. So if you haven't got the app, 
go get it. Even if you don't like nickel and you don't like doing what she tells you to, it's a good thing to have. The uh, I'm just looking at the R number at the moment. In Scotland, looks to be around the 1.4, 1.5 mark. So yep. cases are going to still go up for the next little while. Yep. In her briefing today, Nicola Sturgeon said over 600,000 people had downloaded the app in the first day, yeah. which is great. Was and mad. I believe, in her words, exceeded their expectations. So the more people that have it, the better. More people have the app, I should say, as opposed to uh, yeah. the actual yeah. coronavirus. The coronavirus, the worst, yes, yes, yes. Did you see what Boris was saying about Operation Moonshot this week, James? Oh, what was, what, which one was Moonshot? There's been so, too much going on so, with, with Boris. Oh, but, well, first of all, can I just say that when he saw that, when he said that, it gave me a flashback to my childhood when one of my school nicknames that people used to taunt me with was Moonface. Because oh, yeah. I had a big round face. You're round head. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And so I was Moonface. Ugh. And so when he said Operation Moonshot, I almost uh, started shaking. I know, these things stick with you right through your adulthood. <laughs> I understand that. So Operation Moonface, uh, Boris's plan here <laughs> is to have the testing available for millions of people ah. every single day where you'd get the results in 15 minutes and if you're negative you can go out and live your life as normal and sure. this all sounds great however all the people who actually are in the scientific community said okay bojo doing it? thanks for doing this thanks for telling everybody about this the science actually doesn't exist to do this. Yeah. So why have you said this? Now, I get it. He wants to inspire a nation and say, hey, look, there's a chance that Christmas will be normal. But let's be honest here. Christmas will not be normal. No. And I do feel sorry for the politician who has to say, sorry, you all have to have Christmas by yourself. Yeah. Their goal certainly is to take advantage of as much of a lockdown as we can right now so that we can have a, a, a soft reopen for the Christmas period to prop the economy up. Um, but yeah, as far as I can tell, Boris and co are just sticking to their same coronavirus method, which is uh, exaggerate what we could ever possibly do. Do not deliver on it, yep. but just don't talk about it again and you'll get away with it. And it will work. Um, the media will hold them accountable for about two days when it finally becomes apparent that they lied again and then everybody will move on because they've just lied endlessly about corona- their coronavirus response and it's not stopping now. They do they do have an app though. Oh, do they? England and Wales are getting an app too, um, as far as I can tell. Not right now, <laughs> uh, but England, the England English and Wales app that is getting released is also going to be based off the Google Apple thing. So, Well, how's about that? Imagine doing that the first time around instead of wasting four months. Or more than that. It was May time when they announced it, I suppose. James, one of the biggest films, which is still due to come out this year, is a film called June. That's with a D. June with a, with a D. Yes, June with a D. I should say Dune. It's called Dune, everybody. Dune. Based on a 1984 book, which was once considered... That's Dune with a U. ...unfilmable. David Lynch had a go at this about 35 years ago, but now, Denis Villeneuve, who you would Denis. probably recognise from the most recent Blade Runner sequel, oh, yeah. Blade Runner 2033, 34... I can't remember. It was very good, even though I can't remember the actual number that follows the word Blade Runner. And before that, he did 
Prisoners, which is oh, yeah. an excellent thriller with Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, and a bunch of excellent supporting cast people. Paul Dano, he's also very good. So, mm-hmm. the first trailer for Dune is out. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep saying it like that until everyone realises it's with a D. We're a Scottish podcast. We can't use, we can't say Dune. Dune. Let's watch a trailer for Dune. Saying Dune, saying Dune just sounds like a bunch of places. Okay, trailer for D-U-N-E. Here we go. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. Arrakis is a death trap. Right, James. Dune. Man. What do you think of Dune? The trailer makes it look like they did actually succeed to film this thing. Okay. I I got high, high hopes. They're cracking out the good lines. They're cracking out the good scenes. They did a couple of big reveals, but I think you kind of have to. Let's talk about the big worm for starters. That's a pretty big reveal to put in your trailer. But the worm is kind of like the dragon's of this uh of the, the game of thrones dragons of this one if you don't market them you're making a mistake for marketing so okay their decisions all make sense acting looks mostly great um i'm i'm not i'm not surprised that it looks good because we've seen how much effort they're putting in we've seen the cast we've seen the team behind it um and I, I am very excited having seen this yeah right let, let me add to this because james i know next to nothing about dune yeah and <laughs> I am coming, I'm sorry, I am coming into this completely blind. Right. Let's just start with the cast, because whilst it's got Denis Villeneuve directing, who's very, very good, you've got as good a cast as I I can remember in any recent film. So just off the top of my head, you've got Timothy Chalamet in the leading role. Not funny anymore. Josh Brolin, you've got... Charlotte Rampling, you've got Dave Batista, Oscar Isaac, Rebecca Ferguson, Zendaya, and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. You see a, gl- a glimpse of each of them throughout the, the trailer, which is great. Mm-hmm. You do have this weird worm eyeball thing at the very end, which I thought was a nice introduction of showing you a little bit without giving too much away. Makes you ask questions, yeah. And I thought that their ch- the choice of, of inclusion of footage... Also, Jason Momoa is in this. He, he actually plays a big part in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, he's in it. And that was a surprising cast, but he's looking like he could, could be doing well. So, so for me, I like the trailer, but I thought it gave away too much. Uh, yeah. Because now I, I essentially know, or at least I think I know, what the plot is. Because it's right. it's spelled out for you. Yeah. And that kind of breaks our, that breaks our cardinal rule of trailers. You don't give away yeah. the plot. I would say that, um, so they tell you the plot in two lines in particular. They, my my father rules whatever. Oh, he's going to lose that. Oh, he's getting a new one. Oh, he's going to lose that too. That's that's probably that's probably the plot as far as we're all concerned. And um, Timothy Chalamet's character is having a dream of a girl and then he sees said girl and she's yeah. clearly very important. Um, but I would argue that this being one of the just the, oh man, I hate using words, uh, one of the seminal sci-fi works. Oh, wow. Um, wow. You already know what's going to happen when you're presented with where the characters are when they begin the story. This isn't okay. a story that is going to surprise you in ways. It's more the overall concepts and the characters and all of this that's just super intelligent. But this is such an important piece 
within the genre that plenty other stories are written based off of its general progression. And um, one thing I would highlight is that they changed the word jihad to crusade. Uh, so that was interesting. I wasn't interesting, expecting them yeah. to actually want to do that because the because uh, of what the books are addressing and all this different stuff. So, so just to uh, be clear, jihad is used in the books. in the book. Yeah, as far as I remember. But they've changed to to crusades here. There's a crusade coming. I'm I'm, I'm supposing because people know the word better and they can make sense of it. Um, also, there is the connotation of any time I've heard the word jihad, it's usually to do with Islamic extremists well it is yeah it is and that's that's kind of the point um so they're toning that down a wee bit they seem to be getting the visuals on point so i can i can trust that they're doing a lot of things as well as they can considering how good a job they've done of all the elements that we have seen so i'm assuming they've got a very good reason for toning down some of the language um i'm excited to see it maybe it's not going to surprise you if you've watched the trailer maybe it's not going to surprise you if you've watched like three sci-fi films before but it's going to be all those things distilled into the perfect version of them hopefully well it was kind of like when i watched terminator for the first time a few months ago and you realize only after watching it despite the fact it's what 40 years old yeah you re- you watched it and you realize okay so every sci-fi film following this has been inspired or taken elements off this movie and now i can see it yeah so i presume with dune it's going to be the same yeah and it's one of those things where with these high level intricate works understanding what has been inspired by it and understanding the theory of what makes it work can actually make you enjoy it more yeah it's like when you listen to a classical piece and you're like i don't get it and then you hear somebody talk about it and tell you why all the different bits are interesting and good and then you listen to it again and you're like oh wait i feel it now that's this film could do that the more you explore it, the more you might enjoy it. Okay, James, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. I have one new movie I've seen and two rewatches. So I'm actually going to go to you first because mm. the rewatches will take right. a much lesser, a much quicker time to review. Go. Well, what do you want? A book or a TV show? Let's go for a book first. I finished Soul Music, another Pratchett novel. Oh. Another one from the Death from the Death um, series, the short series. Um, so just keeping it short because it's Pratchett and anybody who's read Pratchett knows exactly what the book's going to be like and anybody who hasn't should read them. Okay. Uh, the writing is incredibly charming, really well done. All sorts of references to human stuff that we all know about, like films, music, all sorts of real real life references that are written into the story in ways that let you enjoy it anyway without feeling like you're being chucked out of the book. Um, one of the big highlights for me in Pratchett stuff, but in, in this one there was a couple of really big elements of it, was... Uh, incredibly well thought through and broken down and concise moments of tying magic with science or magic with physics um, from characters' perspectives. Okay. Or also or tying in magic to creation and lore and all this stuff in really meaningful ways. And I really liked those moments. Um, the characters are the usual Pratchett where they're all, uh, they all have their thing that makes them uh, real. They've got their thing that makes them funny. They've got their thing that makes them motivated. And they're all well-written. Uh, they're all very consistent. And uh, we get growth from them all as the mystery of a story expands. Uh, and Death, the character who is central to this uh, piece, this set, set of stories, is as good as always. An inhuman being with a disastrous job of like being there for every single life that ends uh learning about a new human feeling or concept 
and the ways that Pratchett justifies death's learning of things is is actually beautiful at some at moments. All right. Um, there's a there's a part towards the end where death is ex- having an experience of something that has been described to us from a bunch of other people's perspectives, but we don't see death's perspective of it. We just see the impact of it. And I was like, I was getting shivers just from the way it was written. So wow, please read Pratchett. Okay, well, everybody, I will. Well, James, I'm gonna introduce my movie I've seen, and then I'll come back to you for your TV show. James, right. lo and behold, I have now seen The New Mutants. <gasps> the day has the arrived. Day has we can arrived. end the podcast. Oh, I, I think at this point we just we just chuck this in and we end it because... <laughs> of course it was on uh, this late. This is what it's all been building up to. Now we've got like two episodes to wrap up the overarching <laughs> stories. With, but this is the end. I mean, I would actually genuinely love to, to dig through every single episode to find when we first mentioned this film but it would <laughs> be unreal i reckon 2016 maybe even earlier than that it's been a long time and james i finally watched it so long my goodness tell me all about it it was not worth the wait not even close <laughs> this is a bad bad film and i take no glee i promise you i take no glee in saying that because I really wanted oh, it to be good. Oh, that's so painful. They had so long. <laughs> so here's the thing. There's a lot in the trailers, which is not in the film. And oh, what? I think what they did was they couldn't decide whether they wanted it to be an all-out horror film or a young adult thriller. Adventure. And what they've ended up with is a hodgepodge of both of them. <sighs> it's neither scary enough to be a horror, and it's not young adulty enough to be a young adult film. Just do the horror. So, just as a, as a very brief uh, recap, there are about I want to see seven characters in the entire movie. That's it. Like, there's no background characters or or extras or people walking around. Wait. The vast majority of the 90-minute runtime is... Six people in a hospital, and that is it. Right? Was th- was the dad in it? The, the dad of the main character is in it. He he dies in the opening three minutes, and that's it. And in the trailer, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and the the plot is fine. It's just as predictable as can be, and the acting is. Look, they all try. They're all capable of doing they acting things. Macy Williams is throwing in a Scottish accent in there, which is actually one of the better ones you've heard, but still not great. I mean, yeah, you'd expect her to be able to do it a wee bit better, to be fair. She's got the justification. Yeah. And the only other thing I can add is that it does have a well-laid-out same-sex relationship between the lead character and Maisie Williams' character. Other than that, right. this film is terrible. Don't ever watch it. Right. And I can see why I'm going to. they delayed it for so long. And they released it in the quiet the quiet times. They just it's it's neither here nor nor there. And it's even ah. what it is, it's bad. I don't know what to feel. Well, they wanted this to they wanted New Mutants to be the start of a brand new X-Men franchise. Oh uh, yeah, a whole new thing. Yeah, man. I think there's they, they maybe mention X-Men the the actual word. They mention the word X-Men maybe twice, and that's the only link they have to the broader universe. I don't expect this film to make any sort of money even in this post or current COVID crisis. And it will just die a death. It will be on DVDs for three quid within a couple of months. And oh, that is sad. 
but it is bad. Yeah. Well, if they released it with their horror cut when it was actually just finished the first time, it could have been bad and they would have got away with it because the actors were all pretty big names then. Yeah. But we were kind of tired of them by now, so they couldn't carry a semi-bad film. This film, I believe, was finished shooting in 2017. It's unreal. It is now 2020. (laughs) That gives you an indication of how long... This film has been yeah. either planned reshoots, which were then scrapped, reshoots, which were scrapped again and then done. And then actually they decided we didn't need them. Yeah. Let's just stick with the original thing. Yeah. But just like mess it up with, I bet they hired a trailer studio to do the cutting just like the Suicide Squad did, or rather Suicide Squad did. Yep. The original. Okay, James, uh, tell me what else you have watched and I'll then hit you with my two rewatches. I finished the TV series, Star Wars Rebels. Ah. So that is, I watched season three and four and that's it. As far as I know, unless they release a a sequel season, I believe they're just going to release an actual sequel. How was it? Uh, Well, the good thing about this is that it's a kids TV show. Right. Just like the Clone Wars, like on paper, kids TV show. So you come on in as not a child, therefore a real human being, Uh a, a whole person, and you've got low expectations. So then when those expectations are met and quite often exceeded, it's a very enjoyable watch. So I had a great time watching it. The characters are fine, very normal, nothing nothing out there. The stories are all very normal, not too adventurous, not too strange, no high-level concepts and stuff. Uh, there is the occasional brave moment of story writing, as you'd expect from some of the people who write the, the animated stuff for Star Wars. There's some yep. bravery there of how they treat their characters and what they what they do or, or, the, or who they're willing to sacrifice. Uh, but most of it is just standard Star Wars uh, story arc, just A, B, C, D, whatever, whatever. Everything is expected, but done well. And they done treated everything respectfully. They're feeling, it feels like they're tying uh, what new things they can into the established material pretty well. So overall, if you enjoy Star Wars, yeah, give it a go. If you also enjoy The Mandalorian, you might want to give it a quick watch or at least read the plot synopsis because some of the characters are going to show up in The Mandalorian, so it would be good for you to understand what's happened to them in the animated shows. Just a heads up. There you go. Okay, well, James, I'll finish off with a couple of rewatches of mine. I have gone back to watch Tenet for a second time. This This is Christopher Nolan's new film. It came out in cinemas at the tail end of August. It is likely to be the main movie that's playing for the next maybe six, seven, eight weeks in cinema. So you've got plenty of time to go and see it before anything else big arrives. I believe Wonder Woman 1984 is the next big movie. So the good news is on second watch, it does make more sense. Ah. And I got a lot more from it this time than I did the first time. Was the dialogue any more audible? Well, that brings me on to the bad news, James. There are still huge amounts of the dialogue in this movie which I can't hear because it's muffled or it's yeah. off mic and it's somewhere over here or it's right, yeah. just drowned out by the soundtrack or noise and it sounds like important points of exposition and you can't hear it. And if you can't hear it, you can't follow it. So yeah. the bad news is that the dialogue is still iffy and I still don't fully understand how the movie works. I got more of it this time right. and I enjoyed it more as a result, but I'm still not 100% there. Whereas with Interstellar, with Inception, I was. So... <laughs> He's, it's, it's almost too confusing for its own good. And I know that Mr. Nolan is a smart man, but the audience are not that smart. Yeah. Well, he's a smart man who is also 
still saying that the muddled audio in his films is deliberate and a good choice. Why? I don't know. I think in this instance, I've seen people say that the idea is that leaving the audio kind of unintelligible lets us all make our make off it what we will and leaves it as a puzzle or whatever and it makes the story more deep and stuff like that oh. i'm not quite getting the words right but look into it like it looks like they they're still pretending because they've done it for several films now it looks like they're still pretending it's a good idea just like they're still pretending that blasting zimmer way too loud is a good idea Okay, well, moving on, my second rewatch this week was Limitless, which is a 2011 movie with Bradley Cooper, which you may recall is a a film in which he takes this drug called NZT, allows him to access 100% of his brain instead of the 20% that apparently we can. This is on uh, Netflix. It also has Abby Cornish and Robert De Niro in supporting roles. It's also got a whole franchise going on now, TV show It has a TV show spin-off, it's had several seasons. It may well have come to an end by now, but yes. I don't know, I've not ever wanted to watch it. Right, well, neither have I. (laughs) But the film itself, (laughs) I've rewatched it, myself and Graham rewatched it, and I'll tell you, it is good fun. It has a lot of problems, but it's good. Right. Bradley Cooper, I think the main reason is is just that Bradley Cooper makes for an extremely likable lead man. He's right. very, very good in this. And what I also liked and what I appreciated a bit more this time is they're using, or rather the editor's or colorist's use of the changing palettes depending on if he's on the drug or not. So the opening right, scenes right, right. are just... They've taken the saturation out of it. And so he looks gaunt and grey and horrible. And then when he's on the drug, it's just like Mad Max in that everything is orange and blue. Wow, so vibrant, so real. It, yeah, and it, so iron brave. Ex- exactly, that's the new slogan. Copyright sees operate. So I appreciated that more. I think the performances are good. Robert De Niro is horribly underused, and Abby Cornish is basically just playing this <laughs> yeah. role of a distraught girlfriend who only likes Bradley Cooper when he's looking fine and can speak Italian and Japanese. But when he doesn't, he's you know he's he's out the door. It totally fails the Bechdel test, and. Mm-hmm. Unless you absolutely, did, uh, you know, if you if you don't like Bradley Cooper, you won't like the film. But I feel he's he's good enough and he's strong enough to carry the movie. Some of it doesn't make sense, even in the slightest. But it's a good time. So if you're looking for ninety minutes to throw away on Netflix, you could do a lot worse. I did I did like it. Right. I never did watch it. You should, if you, I might. It's the kind of movie you could have on in the background easily. Yeah. So I, I would, just to see if uh, see if you uh, took the same enjoyment from it that I did. Noted. Okay, one more story before we move on to news across the rest of the world. The actress Dame Diana Rigg, who was best known as Olena Tyrell from Game of Thrones and Emma Peel from the TV series The Avengers, has died at the age of 82. She died of cancer, mm-hmm. was diagnosed in March, and in a statement her daughter said she spent her last months joyfully reflecting on her, on her extraordinary life, uh, full of love, laughter, and a deep pride in her profession. James, Olena Tyrell... Mm-hmm was one of the most popular characters in Game of Thrones. She was one of my favourites. Oh, yeah. And everyone was very sad when she was bumped off, or she bumped herself off, if I recall. Kind of, a bit of both. Pressured into it. I, uh, To my shame, she is... That, that's probably the only role I know her from. She was also the only Bond girl who became Mrs. Bond. She married uh, yeah. George Lazenby's Bond in the 70s. She's not a Bond girl. She's Bond's girl. That's the, ah. that's the Twitter line I saw, and it made me, you know, 
then maybe do what you did there. <laughs> okay, Jamie, any thoughts on, on this? I mean, I, I went actually went back on YouTube and looked through Olena Tyrell's best moments, and I thought she was great. Yeah, she she was great. And when people are taking their work to the late stage of their life and they're putting all of their effort into it anyway, even as they see, and as we know all the actors did, they see the downfall of the show incoming. They still keep delivering what they're asked to. Even as they're given bit parts instead of main parts, they deliver what they're asked to. Yeah, She was great. Every single line she was delivering was great. The attitude she brought to the character was so cool. Um, so, yeah, super. it's super uh, sad to see... Uh, such a quick uh, like diagnosis to to death but hearing that the last months were spent in uh, this uh, joyous environment apparently is uh, is is somewhat of a comfort Right, James, four more stories to finish you off this episode. We're going to start with Brexit because we haven't talked about that for a while. Oh boy, Brexit's <laughs> oh boy. still happening. It is, well, maybe. Or is it? Talks, well, no, it is, but just depending on depending on what happens in the next few weeks. So, what flavour is it going to be? <laughs> Mud or dirt? I'm going to say human waste flavour. Here we go. That was nice. Talks over a trade deal with the EU are currently... On, uh, on hold, they're hanging in the balance uh-huh. after the UK government announced its plans to override part of the Brexit withdrawal agreement that they uh, themselves yeah. passed in January. Which they told us was up and ready, which is <laughs> why they got such a huge proportion of the vote. Right, so the EU's warned the UK it could face legal action if it does not ditch uh, the more controversial elements which do break international law yep. off this new bill uh, yep. sooner rather than later. The EU have given them the, the deadline of the end of the month. Uh, Boris Johnson has uh, apparently hosted a Zoom meeting with uh, his MPs to discuss this controversial bill. Uh, the Prime Minister did not take questions and a bad signal meant the video and audio connections were lost oh, no. for several minutes. James, oh, dear. tell me or, or see if you can explain to me why is this happening? Why is this now on the table that the UK government wants to break international law and change parts of the bill it already passed in January? As far as I know, which granted I don't know a lot most of the time, it all me comes neither. back down to the promises that were made to people domestically that don't really line up with, uh, you know, what they signed. So they're promising no borders here and there and everywhere. Uh, But they've signed an agreement which says, hey, no, you've got to have borders. So now they're like, well, hold on, we'll get rid of the clauses that say how long we've got to have borders for. We'll just, we'll make the domestic law override international law and nobody's going to notice. But hey, guess what? People notice that because other people are actually good at their jobs and do the paperwork. Um, They're... Their justification for it has been released by the AG or whatever, and it was Uh trashed and generally trashed by anybody who's good at their job. Um, It's not just the EU that's pushing back against the idea. We've got uh, the US saying that if uh, we break this law, that we we can lose hope of having a good trade deal with them. Uh, So generally, I think it's seen as a bad idea to sign a thing that says, hey, we'll do this, and then to just not do it and ignore it and hope that nobody notices or that they let you get away with it. So according to the BBC, this new law would give UK ministers the power to modify or disapply rules which yeah. relate to the movement of goods between Britain and Northern Ireland coming into force yeah. on January the 1st yeah. if there is a no deal. Yeah. And that's illegal. 
Yeah, they're trying to add a clause that makes their job easier to make them look good, basically. So they want the ability to get rid of a border if they don't find a way to agree to get rid of a border with the with the EU themselves. So it's just lazy. It's the usual lazy work that we've seen from the government. It ties back to the coronavirus stuff where they just promise a bunch of lies, uh, make up a bunch of technology that doesn't exist and hope that eventually somebody solves their problems for them. Uh, it is incompetence. And it's not the only problem with this, this internal markets bill because the bill is also stripping back. And we've seen... Um, leaders from all nations uh, of the UK saying that it's stripping back devolved powers from yep. everywhere they've been established. And it's it's just another another classic of the Tories, power grabbing and um, delegitimizing um, the devolved governments and pushing them further away uh, into, into uh, a drive for independence. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what their, what their ideas are. I don't know who's organizing this because it is all very transparent. The, the effects of what they're doing is clear before they've done it, and then they do it anyway. So I don't understand what their goals are aside from chaos. But they promised us chaos with Ed Miliband, and that's not them. So I don't really know what they're aiming for. Yeah, chaos with bacon. Uh, the Prime Minister's approach has apparently caused severe unease within the Conservative Party. Former leaders Theresa May, uh, Lord Michael Howard and Sir John Major have all been among those urging Bojo to think again when it I comes know. to this current plan. Um, the current incumbent, Mr. Johnson, had previously said that the UK would walk away from the negotiating table if a deal was yet to be struck by October 15th. James, what strikes me, and just this final point before we move on, what strikes me is that as we tick closer to January 1st and as we we get into the winter, Brexit is not going to be what's front and centre of the agenda. It's going to be coronavirus because... By all accounts, the virus is going to return, there will be a spike in cases, and so Brexit will be put on the back burner, and whatever happens is going to happen, and then on January 1st, it will be chaos. Yeah, um, like quite literal chaos. We're talking about food shortages chaos, yeah. genuine food shortages chaos, not the not the kind of a wee bit of a, of a delay in supplies from corona when it began. Uh, like ma- massive problems in all sorts of sectors that, again, the Conservatives, being the supermajority leaders that they are, have not prepared us for. They have not invested in the infrastructure needed to handle all of the shipping that now needs to be slowly checked as it crosses all the borders. Um, and it's just laziness and incompetence again. But don't worry, Dominic Cummings got us solved. If we have no deal, it will make us free to to funnel money into making our own British Google esque company and that will be a a massive revenue bonus and definitely just not another pipe dream because if you could just put money into creating a new google people would be doing it (laughs) that is very 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 true the britain did strike a a trade deal with japan today that was announced oh no no they didn't they 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 amended the one we already had basically yes the 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 deal mirrors (laughs) they added a line about cheese the the deal mirrors what they currently have with the EU. Yeah, but they added a line about Stilton. Well, there we go. A deal Yay. plus Stilton. An, an historic moment. Because Japanese culture has long needed uh, an influx of Stilton to make it even more authentic. <laughs> no, what they, they've, they've 
just all all the Japanese people are in their homes, just waiting for no deal to happen, so that Stilton's no longer a protected property, and they can make their own knockoff Stilton. That's that's definitely important. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, a couple more stories. Let's go to the states. Uh, a new book by Bob Woodward, who is the journalist who broke the Watergate scandal, um, <laughs> is about to hit the shelves about right, just, Donald Trump. Yes. Can we just? I thought that all the incompetence going on in the UK was going to be the the worst. But my goodness, did Trump beat us once again. So here's the thing. This new book is by, as I say, Bob Woodward. I bought his first one, which Uh was called Fear. And it was about the opening 18 months of Donald Trump's presidency. This new book, which is called Rage, Uh was it, it does seem to be based on... 18 different interviews slash phone calls yeah. with the president. As in, yeah. Trump took Bob Woodward's calls 18 times uh-huh. and yeah. this has formed the basis of the book. As errors of recordings right. of just Trump saying whatever he wants and one of the greatest journalists uh, of, of renown yep. just taking notes. So, well, yes, absolutely. So there were a a litany of headlines that came out of this ahead of the book's release, which I may well buy. From the word of, from the mouth of the dude himself, this isn't just, this is, I don't get it. How do anybody who's handling the president go, oh yeah, sure, just let him talk whatever he wants to the guy who took down Nixon? Well, it's because there is nobody who is handling Trump. Trump handles yeah. Trump. And so I guess <laughs> How part does even of it, Trump go, oh yes, yes, I will talk to the dude who is responsible for bringing down Nixon I mean, the, and my brilliant words will will vindicate me in front of the world. The thought did cross my mind as to why on earth would you speak to this guy knowing what he's going to write, knowing that he's already written a book about you, which was based, having read it, based on what other people had said, whereas this one is actually based on what Trump himself has said. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, and he actually said a bunch of stuff that even if you're talking to somebody who you shouldn't be talking to, there are things you shouldn't talk to him about. Like helping foreign foreign countries' leaders get away with murder and stuff right. like that. So, so a couple of lines here. And, and first of all, I do believe Trump was speaking to him because he likes Bob or, or he, feel, he feels he's like a legend and it was an honour to be speaking yeah, with yeah, Bob yeah. Woodward, the journalist. But he thinks, yeah, he thinks that Bob was doing it because it was a mutual honor or something. Right. Yeah. And he's come out, Trump has since come out and said this was a, a political hit job. Sure, yeah. A political hit job that you took part in on 18 different occasions willingly and voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Which is which is the difference this time, because with previous books, whether it was by his niece or whether it was by former chiefs of staff or former impo- uh, colleagues. He had plausible deniability because it was just yeah. their word against his, or it was <laughs> yeah. anonymous sources against I'm the president. But this one, yeah. he actually said this stuff and there's yeah, recordings got, of it. We've got the tapes. An actual idiot. This guy's a moron. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's admitting to stuff that is just disastrously bad, as though it's an achievement. Right. So, some of the headlines, and as I say, there are too many to to note, and I'm sure there'll be even more in the book that have been saved for its actual release. He told Bob Woodward that he knowingly played down the coronavirus earlier this year, even though he was aware it was life-threatening and vastly more serious than the seasonal flu. On February 7th, in one of these interviews, he said, this is deadly stuff. You just breathe the air, and that's how it's passed. And so it's a tricky one. It's very delicate. It's also more deadly than even your strenuous flus. And then three days after that, 
he told Fox News, we're in very good shape. We have 11 cases and most of them are getting better. And now, James, the US is about to hit 200,000 cases. Yeah, it's mad. And, and sure, it's good to not cause mass panic. You choose your words wisely. I would say don't lie, though. And potentially don't tell people that they don't need to wear masks or something. You know, at some point, there's a difference between not wanting to cause a panic and just telling a, a lot of lies. He also bragged in these interviews that he saved the ass of Mohammed bin Salman, who is the Saudi crown prince. This was after the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post journalist, in which Mohammed bin Salman was accused and allegedly uh, organised the hit in the first place. And Trump's saying, actually, I saved this guy. Yeah, I'm so proud of me for doing that. Like, how how is this a brag? He also said uh, that he didn't believe that Mohammed bin Salman had ordered the murder, even though his own intelligence services concluded that he did. Yeah, well, he doesn't listen to his intelligence services. He just watches Fox News. I saw a video about about it. Somebody recorded uh, a Trump segment where he was was doing one of his briefings. He's talking about how he gets his information. He he watches about six hours worth of Fox News. I saw this, yeah. uh, A day. And we already know he doesn't listen to his intelligence services. He's talking about how he doesn't need to because he's informed. He's so well informed. His information is from one non-news channel that just falsely calls themselves the news. Okay, James, uh, this I, I do expect to, to actually get a copy of this book. So I'm sure there'll be even more yeah. lines coming from that ahead of the election in November. But James- It's actually mad. He is the, he is the cause of hundreds of thousands of people's death. Oh, yeah. And he's proud of it. Uh, uh, just uh, linking to the election, Microsoft say the hackers with ties to Russia, China and Iran are attempting to spy on people and groups involved with the upcoming votes in November. The US tech firm said that the same hackers who breached the 2016 Democratic campaign are back again. They're trying to get involved again. And Microsoft added, it's clear that foreign activity groups are stepping up their efforts to targeting both targeting both Trump and Biden's campaigns. Mm -hmm. Uh, James, are we surprised? Nope. I think we've talked about it a wee bit already, but Microsoft coming out and confirming it yet again, no, it's not a surprise. Uh, Some people want Trump to get it easy. Some people want Biden to get it easy. Most of them just want America to be in turmoil because it gives everybody else a chance to get ahead in all sorts of of, uh, economic ways. So the goal is turmoil. And finding ways to uh, take away the credibility of anybody attached to Biden or anybody attached to Trump. That'll be the that'll be the method. Okay, one final story. It's one we've talked about for several weeks. It's the ongoing unraveling situation in Belarus, which this week took another turn as unidentified right. masked men snatched the leading Belarusian opposition figure, Maria Kolesnikova, from the streets yeah. of Minsk on Monday and drove her away in a van. Uh, she, she was one of the campaign partners of the opposition candidate uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, who claimed victory against Alexander Lukashenko in the elections, which are over a month ago now. Uh, James President, or I guess, well, yes, technically still President Alexander Lukashenko, is now off to Moscow to see Vladimir Putin. Have a wee chat with Putin boy, see how many policemen he can borrow. Uh, this seems to have gone under the radar. We do see stories which pop up every so often, but nothing appears to be being done because essentially they've reached stalemate in Minsk and that people are unhappy. 
but they're not going to protest forever. Sixty something days of protest now, seventy ish days of protest. Well, no, it's not. That's a lot. It's coming up to forty anyway. They they were protesting be- since before oh, the election. Okay, well, just right, to be clear here. Forty days since the election. Do you expect right. this to take? Because uh, we talked about this before. Belarus are a sovereign country, and so it's hardly like another Western state's going to say, "Hold on, we're going to intervene if you don't sort this out." Particularly when you've got Putin next door. Yeah, we only we only do that in places that are that are going communist, yeah. not places that are going hard dictator, uh, because that's justified, I guess. Um, I don't know where it's going to go. The protests should continue because usually. Or at least I think what they were expecting was that once they started lifting people off the street and unmarked cars with like randos, that yep. the protests would be less well populated. But they haven't seemed to become less well populated. We got literally everybody and their mother protesting. Uh, mothers actually forming the front line in quite a lot of places. Correct. Um, so uh, Mr. Dictator is off to try and find some international support, some military help or whatever he needs to shut down these protests, probably violently. Uh, I hope everybody is able to stay safe as they protest. But yeah, if 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 you're ever in these situations, protest is the number one thing to do. Uh, I I do hope that we see more support uh, internationally for people who want a legitimate election and somebody to be in power that is actually voted for and has support. Um, we'll we'll see if any if there is any further response from the lead, the other leaders of the EU. Uh, over the coming weeks, but man, this this was big. Like snatching up the opposition publicly uh threatening her and we all know because she's told us she was threatened with death basically uh either leave or i leave the country or you die yeah. uh or we're gonna keep you in prison for 25 years that kind of threat so they're they're going heavy uh i hope that the people who want good will be able to hold out okay james we are crashing through the hour mark again so i believe it's time to end the show if you'd like to get in touch with seesaw parade you can do as many of you have best way is on twitter at seesaw parade but of course you can email seesaw parade at gmail.com we're also on facebook and you could message us directly how about that oh yeah please do of course, if you've watched anything, if you've got a, a TV show, a movie, a book, a play, you saw something funny happen outside your window, send us a review. We would love to have some other voices other than me and James and Dune on the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh, how did your uh, how did your training go? Did you did you get on it? Did you get a shout out? From Saint Mirren themselves. I, I didn't. I mean, Jim <sighs> Goodwin, a lovely guy, and uh, clearly not a fan of managers slagging off other referees I'll tell you that alright but he was very very good very good and sadly though I did not manage to get him to see Seesaw Parade oh, they've already had to put their training to use though because they've announced they've got two positive cases within the yeah. team yeah well so, we're going to see how, how Mr. Goodwin copes with that alright got a, a refresher session happening in December Oh, see you then Jim <laughs> cheerio Jim okay well cheerio Jim and cheerio James alright everybody have a nice one. Have a nice one, folks. Hope to hear from you all soon. Stay safe. Stay safe. Use protection. Over your face. <laughs> but also the other one. Just generally be safe.